0: Chris Ferguson is an American psychologist who serves as a professor and co-chair of psychology at Stetson University in Florida. He previously served as an associate professor of psychology and criminal justice at Texas A&M International University. Ferguson holds a PhD in clinical psychology from the University of Central Florida. He has clinical experience with juvenile justice populations, as well as conducting evaluations for child protective services. In 2013, he was awarded a Distinguished Early Career Profession Award. And in 2014, he was named a Fellow of the American Psychological Association. In addition to his academic work, he has published a historical mystery novel entitled Suicide Kings. And more importantly, he plays in a Pink Floyd cover band called Gods of Avalon. I invited the professor on the show to discuss a recent piece he authored called Stuck in the Middle. Academia is a mess, but there is still hope. In it, he talks about topics like suppressed speech, sacred dogma and its effect on education, online mobs, the attack of academic freedom, and what it's like to be a university professor today. I hope you learned as much as I did from Chris. Well, that's our legal warning, sir. Thank you very much for coming on True 30 this morning. It's good to have you, Chris.
1: It's awesome to be here. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Well, no problem. As uh, I sought you out as a guest after I read your article, Stuck in the Middle. And then Uh you had parenthetically of academia (laughs) and uh, you're mutual friends with my friend, Carrie Mendoza. So I actually emailed her and I said, I really want to talk with this professor. I'm assuming this article wasn't easy to write and or there was some significant blowback. (laughs) So (laughs) why why don't you tell me a little bit about the article and and why you wrote it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I think, you know, what, what I've been experiencing, you know, I've been in academia for about 25 years now, and I think my experience with it is I would guess something other people have experienced as well. I mean, so if we look at like conservative complaints about academia, these are nothing new. I mean, you know, I think right. probably most of the time I've been in academia, there's been some howling about liberal indoctrination or whatever wording is used. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think like, you know, thinking back like 10, 12, 15 years ago, I mean, there was always an element of truth to it in the sense that most of us were liberals, you know, myself included, you know, it's hard to find a lot of conservatives in you <laughs> know, <is>. of authority. <laughs> And uh, <laughs> on a college campus. But but most of us were just, you know, I mean, you know, I mean, sure, there's a certain element that we bring our politics with a little bit. But most of us just wanted to teach psychology or chemistry or or biology or whatever the hell engineering, you know, whatever we happen to be teaching. We weren't really worried too much about. Yeah, I might make an occasional joke about George W. Bush or whatever. But for the most part, it wasn't, you know, go vote who you want. I don't really care. Right. Uh, you know, but. So so I think a lot of, like 10 or 12 years ago, a lot of those complaints, and I worked in Texas at the time, about 10, 12 years ago, so there were a lot of divides between academia and a mostly Republican state legislature, and uh, so a lot of them felt like, yeah, I mean, I get it, we we probably could use some more conservatives, but on the other hand, we're we're really not trying to turn out like Maoists, you know, or or this sort of stuff. you know, <laughs> it felt like it really was... The criticism was overblown, you know, there was a fair element to it, but it was mostly like, you know, defunding universities is not the way to, and I still don't believe defunding universities is the correct way to go. Uh, But now like 10, 12 years later, it's. It feels like there was this like ridiculous criticism, and universities just kind of rose to resemble that ridiculous criticism <laughs> the last, you know, yeah. decade or so. And so now it's kind of like, oh my god, the conservatives are kind of have a point now. You know, I mean, like, like it, you know, the the sort of, and I and I still think that it's not most professors, it's not most students, you know, but it is the the group of folks that most of us just thought were kind of cute. Like, you know, yeah. a decade ago, uh, that's, it's, you know, it's, it's fair. Kids should have exposure to really crazy ideas, right? You know, it's part of critical yeah. thinking. And, and I, and I still believe that. Yeah. I'm doing a lot of throat clearing already. Uh, but, <laughs> uh, but it, like that, that, that group, that cohort, which is maybe, at most of the university are now incredibly powerful, you know, and they're embedded by administrators who mostly just want to check boxes to advance their own careers. So they don't want to fight over whether DEI is a good idea or not, or whether, you know, I don't know, you know, saying that anybody who uh, comes to campus who has a heterodox idea needs to be shouted down or deplatformed or whatever. Yeah. So all these problems with like free speech on campus, the coercion, Mm -hmm. the groupthink. Um, are now, I think for many of us, you know, are certainly difficult to ignore. I mean, we, we really do have a problem with a lot of the stuff on college campuses now, um, that maybe we didn't have a decade ago. And, and it's time to admit that, you know, it's time to acknowledge that we probably, do really need to look at what we're doing at the university level, uh, what we're doing to our students, what we're doing with our students, and charging them, you know, ridiculous amounts of money to do to them, um, which is another concern, and figure out how we can maybe walk things back at least a decade or two uh to where things were, you know, and maybe reform in some other ways, commit more to free speech than we have, you know, commit more to, you know, sort of uh you know, uh, institutional neutrality than we have and and, and so on and so forth, Uh, lest, you know, we have the DeSantis approach, you know, that like, you know, I think that certainly in the state of Florida, DeSantis is very very popular, um, you know, and I think he's very popular for exactly the the sorts of things he's doing to public schools in both K to 12 and universities. in in Florida. I mean, his approach is popular with Democrats in Florida, not just Republicans in Florida. It's, it's, you know, it's across the board. People, you know, people, they're they're taking tenure away from university professors and the percentage of people that care I, you know, it's probably single-digit percentage of people. You know, yeah, the coal miners and like orange, you know, agricultural workers, you know, are not like weeping in their beds over the lack of tenure of college professors. So I think you know, at university level, we've done a really bad job of of communicating to the public exactly what the you know the value of what we do is. And if anything, we've done the opposite. You know, we really uh, the colleges look insane. You know,
0: just, yeah, and that's actually why I thought the article was so poignant. It, it just a quote from your own article. You mentioned your 25 years on the job and how much you love it. You have mm. from the right, politicians are attempting to diminish academic freedom, suppress, mm. suppress speech, and weaken tenure. From the left, implausible theories are enforced like sacred dogma by zealous activists, feckless administrators, and online mobs, creating a different but equally dangerous attack on academic freedom. Part of this, what you mentioned in the following paragraph, says various popular but empirically dubious theories in the humanities and social sciences set the stage for this. Most prominent among these theories are critical race theory and the new postmodern gender ideology. But other widely practiced post-theories such as post-colonialism, which were crucial as well as lived experiences, was often promoted over reason and data. And jargon such as privilege and Latinx and patriarchy and intersectionality all achieved a kind of quasi-religious status. And so I thought that was the opening too, but that was in the first page. And I was like, all right, this guy's, this guy's not pulling punches. And I loved it for that reason. And you mentioned heterodox, which, you know, immediately reminds me of Dr. Jonathan Haidt. So I'm, he's one of your brethren at NYU and he wrote a book with Greg Lakhanioff called the Coddling of the American Mind. And he spoke specifically to what you're talking about yeah. in that 10 years ago, 2013, 2014, iPhones being predominant within the freshman class. Kind of how that took place and the rearing of the children based on uh, self esteem and making sure that that, they didn't really have a lot to deal with as far as adversity. And then to your point, a lot of the things that are taking place on college campuses, you actually encompassed so much of what's taking place. And then to your earlier point, it's about a, in his book, uh, I cite Dr. Height's book, is that they said in the 80s and 90s, there was a four to one ratio. Mm -hmm. for liberal versus conservative. And so you'd have one conservative professor for four liberals. Today in social sciences, which is obviously your subject matter expertise, it's 14 to one. Mm -hmm. So you look at that and think, oh, okay. And this is, to your point, a lot of the conservative, especially my conservative friends have been pointing this out for years, Mm -hmm. that college campuses, specifically today the elite universities, are indoctrination centers for liberal uh, orthodoxy. And so that's another piece that I, I thought was key. Uh, another conservative thinker who I like, uh, Andrew Sullivan uh-huh. coined the phrase said, we all live on campus now. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it, and cause it used to be that the Academy itself would have these ideas, critical race theory being one of them. Right. Yeah. So back in the day, Richard Delgado and Kimberly Crenshaw and Derek Bell and all these big thinkers kind of had this idea around, uh, what took place with oppression and slavery and how the institutions themselves have been woven into the tapestry and how it's affected black culture. And by the way, brilliant stuff. I mean, yeah. I, I loved it. I I read the 1619 project and I've read a lot of Richard Delgado stuff early on. It was like intro to CRT because I didn't, I didn't know enough to yeah. really understand the complexity of it. But the, the, what you talk about specific to that is that on college campuses now, we are seeing a lot of, and to your earlier, also your point is that eight to ten percent of the campuses, yeah, are this very vocal, progressive group who are yeah. not happy. Who do think that you know the West in general capitalism is a problem? Sure. Um, white male patriarch is a huge problem. Intersectionality. We need to like raise police to the ground. <laughs> you know, it's like all of these. Just there's not a lot of like, hey, let's let's work on a remedy. Let's work on an evolution of something. It's a revolution. Yeah. And I think that the the joke with a lot of professors that I've interviewed is that you know historically revolutions aren't good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they just, did, they don't, they, they don't play face with a lot of murder. So, you know, I don't know if we actually want to go into revolution. And so, yeah, that's what, how do you see this on campus specifically at Stetson, it, this 10% minority? And, and that's kind of where our body politic lies too, outside yeah. of the college world is that you have, you know, the 8% on the right that believe that what took place on January 6th was a kumbaya on the steps. Yeah. <laughs> and then on the left, you have the 8% that believes we need to abolish the police and right. that every white person alive as a racist per Imbram Kendi and Robin DiAngelo. So, you know, what do you see as as a group specifically in Florida? um, How is that manifesting specifically like critical race theory and gender ideology and all the big contentious topics that we have in our culture today?
1: Yeah, I I think I think there's some good news in in, in the sense that, you know, in my interactions with students. So, you know, it is certainly true that, you know, our current generation of students are more liberal progressive than, you know, older people are, you know, some of that's probably just age and some of them might yeah. be generational, of course. Um, yeah, but the reality is most of the students, at least that I come into contact with, and maybe there's some self-selection that, you know, some sample selection, in the, you know, uh, you know, but uh, it, most of the students really do seem open to, you know, pushback. Yeah, you know, they really do want to learn, you know, they're not going to turn into like Reagan, you know, fiscal conservatives or anything, but. Uh, But they're really open minded. So, you know, I talk about, you know, slavery and like slavery was, you know, endemic to all human societies. It wasn't like the West invented it or made it more brutal than it was before, you know, being a you know, uh, Ottoman Empire galley slave was just as hideous as being, you know, um, a, a slave in the Confederate South, you know. It, it, and most students are, you know, you can talk about like indigenous culture and say that they were wonderful in some respects, but they kept slaves and they engaged in genocide, they colonized each other just like Europeans did. You know, basically yeah. if you kind of like put it in the perspective of universalism, that most students are pretty actually pretty open to that. Whether the students themselves are white or black or indigenous or Asian, they they seem pretty they want to learn, you know, and I and I think what's happened with a lot of these young students, um, the the typical student, that is, is through K, K through 12 and then into university. They just keep getting presented with a very singular worldview. And if nobody if everybody tells you that, you know, European colonists were evil Nazis and they invaded this peaceful, pacific. You know, idyllic Eden of indigenous cultures where everybody loved women and, you know, and respected right. the environment. And, uh, you know what I mean? They, they, if that's all they hear, then I mean, they sort of assume that it must be true because they're kids. I mean, why would, you know, if every adult yeah. is, yeah. So I think a lot of the, the issue with modern education is, is this sense of whether it's K through 12 or if it's, you know, at the university level is just the kids just aren't hearing. You know, some other views, you know, or, or or data that would conflict with CRT or or gender ideology or whatever these other things, all post colonialism, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I think once they do, they're like, oh, well, that makes that makes sense, you know, and they're not like personally offended by it, you know. So like, if you tell, for instance, a black student, well, slavery in the U.S. was terrible, absolutely, but you know, Africans captured other Africans and sometimes kept them themselves and sometimes sold them to Europeans. And, well, that's terrible too, right? I mean, it's just a human universal thing. And, you know, and I think most students are okay with that. There does seem to be a, a like you said, a subset of students who are not. And and the problem I think for universities is we've kind of like lost uh, a sense of how, I think it's a, like you said, I don't think this is just true just for universities, but I think it is a right. culture we've sort of lost a sense of what to do with these people, because you know, like 15 years ago, you occasionally would see people melt down in meetings, right? You know, and they would scream and cry and they would be vocally upset, but they didn't win, right? I mean, we right. could be empath- empathic towards them and take them aside and say, obviously, you're having a moment. Let's, just, you know, let's clean you up. This, you know, we'll give you a hug. But they didn't win the debate, you know. I mean, you know, that that if anything, if you just sort of lost your marbles. That counted against you in the debate. Now now you win. Right. I mean, the, the most angry person in the room wins the debate now, you know, whether they have facts or data, it doesn't really matter. All they need to say is speaking as a blank, you know, uh, I am very traumatized by, you know, and they won. And that's it. You know. Well, you and touched that- on that. In your piece called "The Mourners' Veto,"
0: right? Yeah. And I, <laughs> by I the know. way, great title. <laughs> but you know, that's a that's actually you're expanding upon that specifically where the most sensitive and emotional person in the group yeah. wins the argument. Yeah, that's a really big problem. Is that something you see in the social sciences? Personally,
1: yeah, yeah. Absol- yeah, absolutely. I mean, like I said, I think most students don't. Play it, but I mean the, the problem is if you incentivize that kind of behavior, and this is basic psychology, right? If you incentivize a particular set of behaviors, then you're going to get more of it, right? You know, and I think that's what's happening with some of like the gender identity stuff and 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 so on. So yeah, you're now seeing a lot of you know uh, not well at least you're seeing at least some cases of white professors who are claiming to be indigenous, you know, for instance, who are. Uh, becoming, I suppose you say transracial or whatever the word is okay. for that now. But I, I'm going to start saying, uh, speaking as a short Irish, you know, historically marginalized Irish, you know, American, that, and to see if that, <laughs> guess see if me that out. works.
0: Yeah. yeah, that that'll go over like a lead balloon. I'm, I'm yeah. You mentioned in your piece that this became personal for you when your dissertation chair, Charles mm-hmm. Nagy, was fired yeah. from the University of Central Florida for criticizing the Black Lives Matter narrative. Yeah, I'm going to talk a little bit about that, because that to your point, if you bring up in a and I've had friends get in trouble for this, for bringing yeah. up that exact piece specific to slavery. Yeah, you're you're not allowed to talk about global slavery. Right. And and compare it because now you're you're not empathetic yeah. and you are a racist. So, I mean, how, what took place with Charles and, and why did it bug you so much?
1: Yeah, I mean, and, and just to speak to your point about the global slavery. I mean, of course, the irony is you see so many people today complaining about like, you know, how the US, you know, it was a slave owning state, which it was, of course, yeah. and it is forever marked by this on a device that is made with actual slave labor in the People's Republic of China today. You know, I mean, you know, so <laughs>
0: Well, yeah, yeah, there is that.
1: <laughs> the lack of <laughs> insight somewhat yeah i'm not saying we should all give up our iphones or whatever but you know there should be a certain amount of moral humility at any rate uh but yeah so you know charles who's a very blunt fellow you know i don't i don't think he would be insulted by my you know saying that about him uh you know we he was my dissertation chair we've remained friends you know at this point for decades um, and uh, he's very, he doesn't pull punches and and all that stuff. And he, he himself is Mexican-American, he's gay, he's an atheist, you know, so he's got a few, you know, uh, marginalized identities. Got some
0: points, yeah.
1: yeah so, but, he, <laughs> but, but on the other hand, he doesn't really <laughs> buy into this idea that, you know, that the U.S. is a, a white supremacist, you know, uh, if, if anything, you know, that uh, I think part of his view is that people from historically disadvantaged minorities now get a fair amount of, like, through affirmative action, they actually get some privileges, you know. Yeah. Um, And, you know, from my perspective, things are complicated and nuanced, you know, in fairness, I think it's, you know, there's a a long, complicated discussion about that stuff. But, you know, in May, June of 2020, after George Floyd was murdered, of course, you know, the the country lost its mind, is is really... You know, and, and what happened to George Floyd was terrible, of course. You know, the police officers deserve to go to prison, but uh but in terms of this being like a wider thing beyond that, you know, all objective reason went out the 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 window essentially, you know. Yeah. And you know, and, and I had another scholar kind of described this to me at the time as being like a freight train, right? Like you just can't step in front of the freight train, like it's a runaway freight train kind of thing. Yeah. Right? But but Charles stepped in front of the in front of the, the freight train, you know, and so like in that moment when everybody, yeah. you know, there's still people that have lost their minds. But but like the like the people who lost their minds were the ones who got to speak and everybody else yeah. if you were were wise, stayed quiet. Now, I won't <laughs> lie. I stayed quiet, too. Yeah, I was terrified. <laughs> so, yeah, I have, I have a family to feed as well, you know. Yeah. Uh, so. Um, uh, anyway, so he had he had gone on Twitter, which, of course, you know, uh, fell, anyway, um, but he went on Twitter and he said something to the effect of, well, in the U.S., black people have some privilege, you know, some, some forms of privilege. I don't remember his exact quote or whatever, you know, which, I mean, I think it's, I've actually seen essays come out since then that maybe less bluntly have made the same basic argument, you know, uh, that privilege is actually really complicated, you know, uh, at, at this yeah. point um and but you know you only get like 280 characters you know and he's he is by nature a bluntly spoken person anyway he doesn't put sugar on the medicine um and uh so you know in that moment when you know it really was like you know uh salem massachusetts essentially in the 17th century that he became the witch you know, and uh, had to be burned at the stake. So UCF, the, you know, the University of Central Florida, which is the university he worked at, where I got my dissertation, Uh where I got my PhD. Um, you know, basically all the students protested him. I think they had a protest outside his house, you know. And again, it wasn't 100% of the students or even anything close to it. It might have been 1% of the students, but, you know, they were the vocal ones, you know. So they protested at the school outside his house. Uh, The president of the university made comments condemning, uh, you know, Charles. Uh, They launched an investigation. Now, of course, he's a public employee, so he has First Amendment protections. He can't be fired for that. So they launched a quote unquote, I put it in scare quotes, investigation. (laughs) So they basically said, if any students in all of time, you know, have ever had bad run ins with Dr. Nagy, tell us now uh which is a classic witch hunt right you know yeah. especially in this moment where yeah a lot of the accusations are going to be i'm just going to say it, a lot of the accusations are going to be false anyway yeah. you know this you know but anyway so these accusations were made Yeah, you know maybe some of them were true maybe some of them were false but whatever you know, uh but they they were looking for something you know that he had done or whatever, and you know, my impression is they didn't you know come up with much, but you know, whatever they came up with was was enough that they then fired him for some other thing, you know. And uh, so he was fired. I was terrified. It's like it's like the French <laughs> Revolution when you see like your mentor go up to the guillotine. You're like, oh shit. you're next. Like, you know, <laughs> um, you know, I, I really was. I, will, I won't. I lie. I was. You know, I wish I could say like you know my my backbone stayed with me the whole time, but I I was. Ter- God, I a family feed. I was terrified. You know, and I won't lie about it, but, um, you know, so it ended going to arbitration, uh, you know, so obviously he didn't take that line down, went to arbitration. And the short version is the yeah. arb- the arbiter, if that's the right word for it, Yeah. Um. Uh, basically said, uh, I mean, the problem was that up until that moment, up until that tweet, they had been giving him raises and positive evaluations. Yeah they've been giving, they've been singing his praises and then all of a sudden they just had to fire him uh it was obviously because of the tweet you know no matter what other window <laughs> dressing they put on it you know uh but basically the arbiter said like even if he had done other things wrong, they needed to like give him feedback in that moment and give him a chance of course to change Correct. whatever the behavior was and if these were things that happened like a decade earlier, then obviously they didn't do that, you know. So basically, it was a due process issue that you know the arbiter decided that UCF had not engaged in proper due process, um, and uh, basically he got his job back with tenure and full back pay. Uh, so and you know, and my my guess is he's still probably going to sue the state of Florida, you know, for for all this issue. Uh, but it was, I, I think you know, at the time you know the president. And other administrators at UCF did they they followed the the scary crowd right? It was there were Twitter mobs and all this other stuff. So they were trying to save their own necks um, in in a way that was very cynical, I think. And now almost three years later, I don't think UCF looks good for it. I mean, I I, I don't you know I I don't think there nobody's singing UCF's praises anymore. You know about this incident. You know they, I don't now, think them, you know, and so I think that's an abject lesson for universities that sometimes is fault. You know, I mean, we've all read the Crucible, right? You know, I mean, nobody looks back and says, "Yeah, they were enacting in good faith." I understand why they right. did. You know, the the whole point is to not do it. You know, and so I think you know, even though we're still you know somewhat in this moment, I think most people look back on on UCF and 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 you know think that they should have handled that situation far differently. Uh, damn, they should they didn't necessarily have to do a full-throated defense of charles but uh, firing him and and you know sort of just you know joining the pitchforks and torches was was the wrong thing to do for sure
0: yeah we just reported on the hamlin university saga oh. in minneapolis and uh you know we wrote a piece on that and for my listeners who didn't read that piece it was a professor adjunct so she yeah. didn't have tenure protection and She wrote a syllabi that talked about specifically showing a picture of the prophet Muhammad that was commissioned by a Muslim king. Mm -hmm. And in her syllabi, she said, you know, if you're a member of the Sunni religion that believes you should not see photographs of the prophet, you know, just please understand we're talking about this on this day. Yeah. And, uh, I, you know, she's liberal and. Hamlin's a very liberal university, and and so she thought she did everything right. She checked all the boxes, and yeah. you know trigger warnings, and and making sure people understood the syllabus, and, and it was, and she was fired, yeah, immediately. And you know, same thing. She was a very well respected adjunct, and she's suing the university. Uh-huh. So we'll see how that comes out. But it was one person, yeah, and it it was a you know a young lady, Muslim, black, very irritated said that you know it harmed her and yeah. and it, the speech is violence and you know a lot of that because and that's another thing that i've had a lot of discussions with specifically to you know other professors there was a <clears throat> a piece written about by mark goldblatt and it was called the approaching disintegration of academia he's yeah. a professor at fit uh-huh. in new york city and same kind of thing happened is that they were discussing a so a, and this is in your yeah. wheelhouse a sociology course yeah about lgbtq that would really un- help the kids understand the complexity of this marginalized group of people which now encompasses about 34 percent of our alphabet but it's a you know it's still a, it's yeah. still a, a marginalized group um <laughs> and he said you know in the studies itself there was a command but it said something to the effect of Among the learning outcomes listed was a requirement that students develop a greater acceptance of LGBTQ perspective. And so he fought back on that. He's like, you know, our job as professors is we need to keep in mind, and this is a quote, that we're a state university. Our mission is to pursue, ascertain and disseminate objective truth and to equip our students to do the same. Given that mission, I don't think we can list a learning outcome (laughs) that requires students to assent on a matter of personal morality. And and boy, he got hammered. And the reason I bring this up is because he is a tenured professor. While he was in the staff meeting, a college, a colleague fresh out of grad school, not yet tendered, was so visibly disturbed that she Mm -hmm. had a very difficult time even voicing her dissent. And she became apoplectic, to quote him, and so angry. She said, I can't believe people still think this way, she mm. sputtered. Queer theory has deconstructed objectivity. Yeah. And everyone in the in the staff meeting just sat there because <laughs> they're like, I don't know what to say. And, you know, he was most dumbfounded by the fact that his colleagues in the sciences and the mathematician didn't say anything either so it was like wait you know where are we going with this right. and, you know I share that story with you because it was one of those that stood out to me again that this is becoming a religion
1: yeah mm-hmm.
0: right and you touched on that too in many of your articles and and you've written just so I can share this with my audience stuck in the middle was one. Stop sharing political memes. Great article. <laughs> My APA resignation, which is the Association of Psychological uh American Psychological Association. We should talk about that. Are yeah. gamer stereotypes accurate? The futility of conservative war on pornography. Sex differences in cognition. Is gender a social construct? Motivated reasoning is disfiguring social sciences. I mean, you you're just trying to get fired, dude. <laughs> I mean, all these these are huge topics and in some of your stuff you reference you know, pieces from John mchorter mm-hmm. yeah. as an example, who, you know, as a Columbia professor who was very vocal uh on yep. specifically critical race theory, and he wrote a book called Woke Racism. Mm-hmm. And in it, he says that he's not comparing this level of you know woke ideology, you know, to use the overused phrase today, yeah. but he said it's not like a religion. It's it is a religion. Yeah. <laughs> and mm-hmm. in this case, white privilege is the original sin. Mm-hmm. And then he he references Robin DiAngelo and Imran Kendi and the, the folks that are out, you know, very vocally leading the charge that all white people are racist. And this isn't, that's a quote. Yeah. All white people are racist. That's the actual starting line. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that's where the actual, oh, you know, we need to have this session now and every one of you in the room that is white Specifically us cis males. You yeah. know, you guys are racist. And that's right. a brutal way to start any any type of trade. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and so and I won't belabor that because I've done a lot of work on Robin DeAngelo and I disagree yeah. with her vehemently. But, you know, what are your thoughts on this being a religion?
1: Yeah I mean I think it you know and very I mean the only concern I would have is that it is it, saying so might be insulting to a fair number of religions yes. uh but <laughs> some of which are quite lovely and you know yes um, <laughs> so, that's yeah, true That's, that's a good not point. religion is bad but uh, but I think it, it it specifically has this kind of like almost Calvinist, like hardcore Protestant Christian. like Yeah. And again, they're lovely. Protest- I'm Episcopalian myself, so I'm not trying to slam okay. all Protestants either, you know, but but it has this sense of like really fundamentalist, rigid, you know, quasi Christian, you know, Judeo Christian, you know, uh, Calvinism, you know, that sense uh-huh. of like you're preordained, you know, to sin or to, uh, to you know, if you're indigenous by virtue of being indigenous and you are morally upstanding same thing if you're black you know if, but if you're white or asian even perhaps then you are sort of stained uh you know by, by virtue of of you know god already knows you're going to hell you know kind of a, a, an essence to it but yeah there is this sort of original sin there's you know the the need for like public confession yeah. the use of shame uh the uh, inability to really, uh, you know, get back. It's just where I say it's more like Calvinist. There really is a sense of there's nothing you can do, right? Is There's really no forgiveness, you know, in this model. I mean, other religions do at least have like forgiveness, you know, and ways of redeeming yourself and whatever else. But this is, you know, a very hardcore, you know, version of it. So I, mean, I think a lot of it is very faith based, right? Because you can look at, you know, some of these issues and people will say, and I've just wrote on this in Newsweek actually, you know, that, um, you know, anti-Asian violence is white supremacy, I think you point out, but whites are actually underrepresented proportionally in perpetrators of of Asian violence. You know, it's actually... Uh, black people, um, but also other Asians, you know, who are overrepresented in violence towards uh, towards Asians. You know, not all Asians come from the same ethnic group, it turns out, right? You know, and uh, and you that's know I think that's right? <laughs> you know and yeah. I think that's interesting data, right? You know, I think that's interesting information. Now now some there are some white supremacists right who engage in anti-Asian violence. Um uh, but there but it is a you know the, the data is different from the narrative. So it's not just a sense of like, well, huh, you know, that is interesting, maybe, but, you know, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm worried perhaps that your data is wrong would be a reasonable rebuttal, right? You know, saying like, well, you know, yeah. maybe the data, there's something in there that is, you know, biased or something of that sort. That's fair to be skeptical, you know, but the sense of like, you're a racist for bringing it up, <laughs> you know, said like the data, not only can the data be wrong, but you're evil for having, you know, supplied that data, you know? Uh, And that's, I think, the element that looks again like this more fundamental Judeo-Christian sort of element that, you know, it's not just, you know, if you say like, you know, it's happened to Galileo, right? It's not just that, you know, you you say that the uh, earth in fact revolves around the sun and you're wrong, but you're a heretic and must be punished. Uh, you right. know you must be ostracized from society and prevented from having a platform. You must publicly apologize, um, and of course, uh, the public apology won't actually redeem you. But,
0: no, because it's yeah. never good enough. And that's I think the problem too for me on that piece with the Asian violence is that Asians by the intersectionality code yeah. are white adjacent. Yeah they're not even considered a minority group anymore based yeah. on the success of the culture. And so yeah. I, I'm, I'm personally involved my wife is Chinese. So my little boys by definition are half Chinese right. and I've lived with this culture now for 14 years, yeah. my in-laws and my cousins and everyone else. And this is a very motivated culture, specific mm-hmm. to education. Right. And the same thing that talks, you know, John McCorter writes at length about, you know, losing the race and winning the race specifically around black culture what Mm -hmm. takes place with the, you know, and he doesn't ever say that there's no such thing as racism. He he admits that. But when you get into these big, you know, training DEI sessions that ask you, and there's a slide in Robin DiAngelo's uh, training that says how to be less white. Yeah. And so, you know, if you open up, I used to run ad agencies. And if I actually brought a leader like her into my leadership group, and said, hey, we're going to go through some DEI training because it's good, because it is, Um, here she is. And then, you know, the floor is yours, Robin. And Hey, so by the way, you're all racists. And if you deny that you're a racist, it actually proves that you're a racist. (laughs) And you're like, okay, so (laughs) it doesn't matter what I say at this point, I'm hosed, right? I'm a racist. And so now, and that's, that's where the religion comes to. And here's an example written by Mark Goldberg, goldblad it says it's a new secular faith a version of the way it's witness and testing you gather for three hours a week to dwell in the spirit commit yourself to individual rituals which is true collective causes despair of the fallen state of humanity call out and cast our demons white uh-huh. privilege immerse yourself in sacred texts Tanahasi nehisi yeah. you know um ibram kendi any any of those things then venture forth to spread the gospel which Again, you know, a lot of my progressive friends are doing this online. I see it every day, being kind of a centrist politically and running a you know political uh, media company. I see all of this in both areas, yeah. right? It's it's like, and that's the same kind of thing where the Latinx thing for me. My mom's Mexican, and so I've always under tried to figure out like what do you mean by Latinx? It's yeah. <laughs> if you look at the date on it. I think it's two percent. Yeah. Of the Hispanic population yeah. thinks it's cool. It's scary to me on that front because you even pushing back on the Black Lives Matter and and again all of these topics have and I you talked about this earlier in one of your articles specific to our discourse has gotten so poisonous that we've lost the ability to have a reasonable debate. And I'm paraphrasing you because I can't find it exactly, but you know how do you see this moving forward as a professor and. And in psychology, I mean, you're you study human behavior for a living. Yeah. You as you mentioned this already, kind of in in jest, but are you scared as a professor to talk about certain topics today that you would have talked about 10 years previous?
1: Yes, uh, I, I think without question. I think most people, most people are. I, I think you know. In fairness, things have gotten a little bit better over the last two and a half years. I mean, so I think the well, that's good. The uh, the apex of this was the summer of 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 twenty twenty. You know, and yeah. so I'll, I'll be very frank. You know that I, that in my forensic psychology class, um, I you know I have a module, if you will, uh, that covers like race and policing and that sort of stuff. And it's all the nuances. You know, that's all I like, you know that you know it's, it's complicated, right? And really. Yeah. It's, the gist of it is that, you know, it's on both sides, it's probably more class than it is race, you know, so, you know, proportionally, black people are shot by police more often than white people are, though, in terms of raw numbers, more white people are shot by police, Uh, but also proportionally more black people commit crimes, you know, so that's probably not a coincidence, right, you know, that these these (laughs) track in the same direction. And by contrast, you know, fewer Asians are shot by police even proportionally than either whites or blacks, you know. And same thing, you know, fewer Asians commit crimes than either whites or blacks, you know. Um, so, and for some reason, Asians are always left out of that whole dialogue, you know, which is fascinating. But uh, it is. <laughs> yeah, as usual, as usual, you know. Um, but, you know, so in that summer of 2020, I just, nope, 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 nope. We're not going to talk about it. We, I just took it out because it's just, it was just, you know, too toxic. You know, and I, I sense put it back in, yeah, you know, and again, yeah, the students are fine. And I sort of regret maybe I shouldn't have taken it out. In, in the summer of 2020 but it, you know I was I had a I had a, a family to feed you know and I didn't yeah. want to step on the landmines you know and uh, and I think you know part of what happened is, and I, I do had to give credit to people like John McWhorter and Coleman Hughes and you know Wolfe yeah. Riley and other you know mainly black scholars you know who Roland Fryer yeah, yeah exactly like who pushed back yeah. they were there in the yeah people and they've gotten slings and arrows too, you know. Um, you know, Angel water. you know, and it's they they get told that they're not really black, you know, that they're yeah. traitors. The N-word gets used on them by people who are ostensibly progressives. (laughs) And and so, you know, uh, amazing, you know, that happened with uh, Clarence Thomas, the Supreme Court, did I get his name right? Uh, The justice, you know, when he was, uh, he wrote, I guess, uh, I think an assenting opinion on the Dobbs case. And like everybody's like, you, I'm I'm not even a, you know, but people, these are both black and white people online are using the N-word and various versions of it you yeah. know and it's like oh so we're not supposed to use the n word unless it's Clarence Thomas you know and then it's suddenly okay i mean that's very strange to me but um no i mean, you know so so i am tendered <laughs> I mean, that, that that matters that so helps,
0: much, right you know, yeah. that,
1: all, you know but and I, and i think it was kind of like the like putting the toe in the cold water phenomenon like starting with a few things like, let's talk about it and a few things here and there and, you know, and our student body is, I, you know, I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, but I think it's, you know, as, as close to nationally representative as a liberal arts university ever gets. So I, we have a fair proportion of Black and Latino students, a fair proportion of Asian students, as well as, you know, of course, the majority are white, but, you know, I think in, in you know, at, at about the level of the country, uh, so maybe about 60%, you know, that kind of, that kind of number. Um, And then, yeah, no, people just interested in, yeah, people also were just interested in information. So, I mean, I think my my experiences have mostly been positive. I mean, I don't think I am... Blunt in the same way that Charles Nagy is. So that might be, be an element of it. So I I do probably some degree of throat clearing, you know, in the sense of like everybody should be respected. I'm an anarchist anyway, so I believe everybody should live their lives the way they wish. You know, I have no interest in telling, you know, gay people they can't marry or that trans people can't get, you know, if they're adults or they can't get surgery that they Yeah, I don't I don't live your life. You know, you should get the best information that helps you make these decisions. But live your life how you want. And I really don't care, you know. Uh, so I, I think you know my students kind of know this that I'm not like out to criticize their personal choices or or even their worldviews uh, and that stuff. My job is just to give them data, you know, um, and that sort of stuff. And I well
0: teach objective truth, right? I think that's right. part of where you know. So you you pulled stuff two years ago, as you said, the zenith this the zenith of this was in 2020. Yeah. What made you feel okay to do that? Are you doing anything on, on the in the sense of trigger warnings? Yeah. Are you doing anything different as a professor to say, hey, you know, in tomorrow's course, we're going to go over, you know, genocide. We're going to go yeah. over, you know, chattel slavery I and mean, whatever it may be. Wh- what is that? What have you done differently on, on, on like the demonstrable pieces yeah. as far as like a syllabi or anything else?
1: Yeah, well, I mean that that moment, you know, in 2020 is is like I said, it's not one that I'm particularly proud of. That you know, I didn't go over that, so it definitely was a fear based motivation. Well,
0: yeah, it's understandable.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, so I'm not going to defend it other than saying, you know, I was scared, you know, I wouldn't yeah. be able to feed my family. That's, that's yeah. you know, it, it wasn't it wasn't because I thought it was you know good for the students in particular. I thought they should have this information, but you know, I just felt like you know, you just, I, I just watched a colleague. Lose his job, you know. Right. Uh, um, and I was—I there were news reports all over the country of, of similar things happening, and so just you know, uh, you know, as as much as we would all love to think of ourselves as gracious people, even even if mine had limits. <laughs> you know what I mean? And had, uh, you know, I had a kid and uh, and a, and a wife I was responsible for. You know, so, um, but it didn't last long. You know, if I'm going to humble brag a little bit, you know, so by that fall I was back to you know teaching it and and and. Okay. Uh, teach- else. And no, I don't know that I've really changed much. I mean, the the one thing I do um, is for most of my classes, unless it's like research methods that really doesn't hit anything terribly controversial that I'll usually send out an email to all my students before the semester starts and just say, look, you know, here's what's going to happen. I'm just here to give you data. Uh, a lot of the data you're not gonna like. And it whether you're like a Trump supporter or a Black Lives Matter supporter, you know, some, something's gonna come up. You're gonna disagree with it. I'm totally cool with you disagreeing with it. We could even yeah. debate it as long as it's cordial. I'm totally, I'm, I'm up for that. But if it's gonna like make you feel traumatized to hear me criticize either, you know, former President Trump or Black Lives Matter, then maybe this just isn't, yeah, you know, this isn't the class for you. Okay,
0: so you actually get into that level of detail and yeah. say, "I'm okay, oh, yeah. good," because I mean that to me is where. Most people of reason agree that college is a place to be offended, Yeah. (laughs) right? You're supposed to, you just, that's part of it. You you go there and mix with a whole bunch of different people and they're obviously going to have their own opinions. And I understood historically, and Robert Jensen helped me with this a lot. The professor I just interviewed from University of Texas. He's a very kind man and Mm -hmm. everything he said kind of emanated from that. And when I asked him about safe spaces, and I've heard this from other professors here in the Bay Area at Berkeley and University of San Francisco is that they have a reason. So, you know, marginalized groups like black people and, and let's just say Muslim and or trans now that they actually feel isolated and or scared sometimes on campuses. So they needed a place to go. And I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. I'm cool with that. The problem that I had with safe spaces is they just kind of like anything liberal. It just continues to grow. Yeah. and it got to the point where it was like oh we need to save space for ideological and emotional harm. Yeah. So if there's some, knuckle, you know, some someone who disagrees with me politically and he's wearing a red hat and he's preaching the GOP mantra, I'm now wounded. Like I yeah. speech is violence. I need help. I need to be in a safe space. Brown University probably has the most egregious example of this where they have milk and cookies and coloring books and beanbag chairs. And you're like, oh my God, are these 12 year olds? I mean, it's like, (laughs) this isn't for children. These are adults by definition. 18 to 22 is the most of the demographic. So, you know, that to me is where I think that the Academy itself, and I'm glad to hear from your perspective that it's pulling back because it still has these moments where, you know, I, I don't know if you read about this, but Gordon Klein is a professor at at uh, UCLA and and one of his te- one of his teachers right after the George Floyd stuff
1: hmm.
0: wrote him a, a note and said, Would it be possible for you to be less to to give less uh criteria for the black students after the death for their hmm. homework? you know and on their assignments and and his response was fast <laughs> it was snarky so i, I assume he was going to get it but he said thanks for your suggestion in your email but that i give black students special treatment given the tragedy in minnesota do you know the names of the classmates that are black how can i identify them since we're having online classes are there any students that may be of mixed percentage such as half black half asian what do you suggest i do with respect to them is a full concession or just half <laughs> Okay. You know, know, at this point, I read him like, dude, you knew, you knew you were doing this.
1: And then
0: then he, yeah, and then he continues to like twist the knife. Remember that MLK famously said that people should not be evaluated based on the color of their skin. Do you think your request would run afoul of MLK's admonition? Thanks, Gordon Klein. And, you know, you can imagine the shitstorm that took place. There was 20,000 signatures within like eight minutes. Yeah. For him to be removed, they did remove him. They suspended him, but then the story got, you know, the national attention. Counter petition signed, seventy six thousand signatures, mm-hmm. put him back, and they reinstated yeah. him. But then they made him submit to,
1: yeah,
0: DEI training,
1: training struggle and struggle session
0: basically <laughs> I mean, it was brutal, and and so like that is why I asked you the question, like how do professors, because Jonathan Heights did the same thing. He's teaches very differently than he did, did yeah. 10 years ago he doesn't he used i said he said he used to be very provocative on purpose yeah and he would come in and say something like okay tell me what was good and bad on blm during yeah the george because there was good and yeah. there was bad but yeah. he couldn't he couldn't do that anymore because yeah, if yeah. you if you actually point out that there the blm did some stupid shit, yeah now you're a racist Even though they were burning down buildings, and you're like, "Well, no, that's that's we have to be able to draw a distinction there, right?" And to your point, that's I'm hoping that with even within your own practice uh, as as a psychiatrist, psychologist, and how other psychologists in the university tempering their their teaching, are they doing the same thing you're doing? Are they sending out stuff ahead of time and say, "This is what we're going to do," and if you have a problem with it, come and see me in the office, that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, well, well, I don't really temper my teaching anymore. I mean, I, I think yeah, I've gone back That's to being good. Pretty, pretty provocative. Yeah. I think for the most part. I think if you ask my students, they would, they would say, yeah. I mean, yeah, we we cover. Yeah, but, but I think yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a difference between I I I'm not snarky with the students though, you know. So that's that's maybe where the the third rail is or something. I I think in general, if you communicate kindness towards the individual students, then they're more open, you know, to you covering otherwise provocative things. So I mean, I think where the hesitance, you know, is, you know, I, I would, which is ironic because in a way, because you can find things about like you know, say like men, right? You say well, men commit eighty five percent of violent crimes, and I'm not like offended as a man. That's just True,
0: yeah, it's just true. Right, yeah.
1: Know? So, but we somehow assume that like if it's a black student and we say, well, like proportionally, you know, black Americans commit more crimes than, the, you know, than the, their percentage of the population whatever. It doesn't mean everybody, everyone is black or even the majority are committing crimes, you know, so that's going to be traumatizing for them. But it really, it isn't. I mean, they, I think for the most part, like, well, yeah, that's the data. I didn't commit any crimes. So it doesn't mean anything about me, you know, uh, just right. like. Saying that 85% of men, you know, 85% of crimes are committed by men doesn't mean anything about me personally. So I, I think we assume our students are going to personalize stuff about identity in ways that they really don't. And, you know, and again, I think as long as as professors, we kind of like maybe throat clear a little bit in the sense of like, you know, that's, that's probably what I've changed, maybe a little throat clearing to saying, like, look, you, you don't have to agree with me. And like, you know, you, your, your views are fine. I actually welcome a cordial debate. Um, not that I wouldn't have done that before, but maybe I'm a bit more direct about saying that. But other than that, I mean, we talk about, you know, like I just, I just gave a test yesterday where the, you know, one of the questions was, if you have ovaries, you know, are, you know, not in terms of gender identity, but in terms of biological sex, you are a, and the correct answer was, you know, female. okay. You know, did that. okay, <laughs> yeah. so that's so, you, because it's true. I mean, it's true. I mean, that's that is the definition, uh, by of a, of a biological female. Again, we can talk about gender identity and respect people who gender identity doesn't match their biological sex, but the reality yeah. is that sex is a binary. And if you have ovaries, in you're biologically female. You might, yeah, you know, we can talk about you know the hypothalamus and gender identity and stuff like that, but so maybe a few people that doesn't match, but um. But biologically speaking, you know, you're still likely to get, you know, ovarian cancer in a way that, you know, a biological male is not, no matter how you identify and of your gender. Uh and we can be respectful of people, but also recognize that. So that's a lot of the message. Yeah, you know, I try to like thread that needle saying that doesn't mean that we don't use people's pronouns or you know, or, or let people live the way they want to live. If they want to get surgery to match our gender identity when they're an adult, I'm totally cool with that. Um, you know, that's not my business. You know, like I said. I just don't take an interest in that sort of stuff. But, you know, I got to tell you what a biological female is. You know, that's... Have
0: you had any pushback on that? Because there's a lot of professors that... I mean, obviously Jordan Peterson, which you learned about, took, you know, he just refused to do the pronoun thing. And that's a whole other story. But specific to gender ideology is, you know, I've I've done a lot of reporting on that. And I've been called a transphobe and a racist and a bigot uh, because I would ask questions about the differences between sex and gender. Yeah. And so if you differentiate between those two, people say, well, you can't, you know, there's numerous sexes. And they're like, well, no, I'll give you numerous genders. You yeah. Know? I mean, there's like seventy-five that are approved in New York State as an example. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's two sexes. Yeah. Outside of abnormalities, right? There's right. A, there's small gametes, yeah. And there's large gametes, which are you know, eggs and ovum. And so you're like, that's yeah. it. As far as reproductive goes, there's two. <laughs> right, right, and, and right. you need those yeah. two to actually, you know, <laughs> be close together <laughs> for yeah. a short period of time, and and they can procreate. And and the issue then, specific to a lot of, you know, things you see on campuses, is that there are professors being they get in trouble for saying what you just said. Yeah. So it's it's good news that you're actually saying these things out loud to a diverse group of people on your campus, and specifically in your class. And there's been no serious ramification because that that so to far. me was yeah
1: yeah <laughs> maybe oh, yeah. i'm walking the razor's <laughs> edge more than i realize who knows but uh yeah i mean and, and honestly i mean i've had students who are gay students who are trans you know and again i think a lot of it is as long as you communicate respect for the individual students you know now it would be different yeah. if you could have said well i'm not going to you know like you said peterson like i'm not going to use i'm happy to use anybody's pronouns that doesn't make yeah that's yeah, that doesn't cost me anything, you know what I'm saying and you know that's I'm with just, you
0: there. Yeah. I'll say whatever it makes someone else feel better. <laughs> I mean, if yeah. someone's actually that is dealing with that much emotional turmoil, the last yeah. thing I want to do is poke it, you know yeah, just, like not... hey i'll I'll call you whatever you want and I'll give you yeah. a hug and you know good luck with that because that can't be fun. but right. you mentioned in your article about Peterson because we don't need to get into him as a character. but one of the things you talked about and this is another question I had for other professors yeah. is that the academy itself is where a lot of wonderful things trickle down. Yeah. Right. Critical race theory being an example of that. And in general, you're seeing these young graduates, and this is also part of the thesis with Height and Greg Lukanev's book, is that they're yeah. now moving into the private sector. They are. So yeah. you you did a story about, or you wrote a piece about Penguin Random publishing Jordan Peterson's books. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the fact that people within the organization lost their mind and they just did yeah. the tears and the screaming. And, and this is violence to me. And I'm feeling physically assaulted. I'm, I feel unsafe. Yeah. All right. What do you think as a psychologist, what is happening to our culture that way? And again, yeah. let's just, you know, reiterate that it's a small minority of people yeah. let to say it's eight to 10%, but that is something that is happening in Corporate America, NGOs, nonprofits, academia, medicine—you know—because I've interviewed a lot of doctors about yeah. this specifically. What do, what do you think, as a psychologist, what is the what is happening?
1: Yeah, <laughs> well, I think I think what, what's happening basically is we're giving that segment of the population a lot of power and authority. Is what is what happening, and of course, that then incentivizes. More people to try to grift onto it, you know? Yeah. Uh, so th- there's, so there, I think there's probably a combination of people who like legitimately have a really strong emotional reaction to things that is not healthy. And we also have a group of grifters, you know? Who, yeah are pantomiming that for, you know, True. for, for gain, you know, and sometimes it's hard to tell who's who, right. You know, who are the grifters and who will legitimately, uh, you know, uh, sometimes, you know, the, the ones who are like obvious liars may be probably more likely <laughs> the grifters, but uh, you know, but I, I think again, like what we started to do was when people would say like, knowing that Jordan Peterson exists somewhere in the world. And by the way, I'm not particularly a fan of Jordan Peterson. I have no real opinion on it one way or the other. But, you know, that knowing that Jordan Peterson exists somewhere in the world is traumatizing to me, that we sort of move this direction of saying, well, well, what can we then do as a society to make you feel better? And I think what we need to do more of is saying, well, you need to get some help. Like, you know, if that if if like being unable. (laughs) Exactly it to turn off the channel, to switch to another YouTube, you don't have to watch his YouTube videos. You don't have to read his books, you know, that if if it disturbs you to know that another human being somewhere on the planet is like, th- like right now, it's like, I don't know, this is going to be, you know, so, so, so nerdy, but like Hogwarts Legacy, like if, if you don't, if someone on the planet is playing this video game, Hogwarts Legacy, and that like traumatizes you because you believe JK Rowling is a transphobe or something like right. that. So like JK Rowling, you can still believe she's a transphobe. but if you're like, if your day is over now, because like this game got released, it's, it's, some of that's on you. I mean, it's not to say that you're a bad person, but you you need to get help. And we as a society... <laughs> can't stop playing hogwarts legacy yeah make you feel better like only you can make you feel better it's just not reasonable to think that the rest of us aren't going to play this video game i didn't even care to i don't even i didn't even want to play this video game until it became like a big deal now i feel like i have to go out and buy it because i've been told i can't you know sort of a thing (laughs) same thing like you know yeah, people, if other people read Jordan Peterson, who cares? You know, it's it's not going to literally murder you as a trans individual. You know, and I think that's kind of like people think, you know, some of these problems are like a three. Like, I, I get it. it. You know, you don't want your group to be disparaged. And that's a fair concern you know, to think like this is literal genocide is dialing it up to like a 12, you know, and this can be a three, you know, it's okay. You know, To not like Jordan Peterson, write an op-ed, you know, write your own book, right. you know, right. you know, you can criticize his work, you know, and I'm open to, you know, I don't, <laughs> I think he sells a lot of woo, you know, so I mean, I don't, I don't approve of a lot of the stuff he says. I'm, I'm, I'm open to the kind of argument, you know what I'm saying? But but if your kind of argument is tearing your hair out, you're not really giving me much to to work with here. You know, um, you know, so make a good database argument if you can't, you know, go get help or just turn off the damn television, you know, or yeah. get off Twitter or whatever it is. You know, but you can't expect everybody else um, to follow. It's just it's just it's just never going to happen. First of all, it's, we just can't. You know, I would I would love it if everybody voted for my political candidate every every uh, four years or whatever. But, th- but they're not going to, you know, and that's just the reality. Uh, and I have to accept that if it makes me explode emotionally because I know somebody voted for Trump or something like that, then I need help. You know, I mean, it's well, no, that's I,
0: that's a great point, because Greg yeah. Konioff actually talked about that in the Coddling of the American Mind is that he actually yeah. suffered from chronic depression. Yeah to the point where it was debilitating and he Mm -hmm. was non-functional and he went and saw, you know, someone like yourself and they used cognitive behavioral therapy and they deconstructed a lot of what was going on. And, you know, I went through a lot of therapy myself and I was fortunate enough to find a good clinical psychologist and go through a lot of the shit I needed to go through. And, you know, she taught me a lot specific to, you know, putting your head in the dragon's mouth. There's like, whatever you're fearful or whatever that hurts, I need you to go into it. And uh-huh. you need to dive into it, you know, and then we dive into it and I'd be a mess. And then we she'd pull me back out slow. And, you know, he did the same thing. And and I mentioned that as, as as, you know, because of your pedigree, it's it's wonderful for you to hear this because I or for me to hear what you said, because it to me, that's exactly what I was thinking is if you're actually traumatized by words yeah. that you now think are violence. Number yeah. one, you've never been punched in the face. OK, there's for starters, yeah. words aren't the same water. The word water doesn't make you wet. Yeah. Okay. So go get some help. Right. I, I yeah. and To your point, Jordan Peterson, you know, his his 12 rules for life. It, it seemed like a really good book. I read it years ago. And as a clinical psychologist, I was like, all right, that's pretty cool. Then he did some really shitty things and said yeah. some really <laughs> shitty things. And so you're like, well, it doesn't mean he's just a bad human being that is should be deplatformed or non-platform. He should yeah. never talk again because he, he traumatized you. It's like, yeah. to your point, shut off social media. Yeah. go get some therapy, go for a run, you know, pet your dog, talk to your yeah. friends and just get over yourself. And that's a big piece of what I think scares me the most about this, even this fringe. Yeah. It's, if you look at the the analysis from Height and Lukhanioff, the bigger problem, and Barry Wise talks about this at lo- at length, is that these are the best and brightest universities we have to offer. So the top percentage of our Academia are going into all the aforementioned fields mm-hmm.
1: and yeah. they're
0: all being taken over by an ideology medicine is even being taken over I interviewed numerous clinicians uh specific to gender ideology and there's now an asterisk next to people's names based on male and female because yeah. when they come in they identify as their yeah their actual gender descriptor right but to your point about the hypothalamus and other major characteristics within the physiology between males and females it's yeah. not okay yeah. as a clinician to actually give medication to w- what you think is a man or right. a woman biologically, because it will harm them.
1: Right. Exactly. And so
0: yeah. it's, it's in the medical field, it's in the psychology field, it's in, you know, it's in corporate America for sure, specific to DEI. And yeah. and and now you're seeing it just run the gamut. And they, that's to me where we can't treat this one 10%, 8%, whatever that number is gelled at, with these kid gloves, because it just empowers them. And to your point, it brings in others. Yeah. Like, oh, I want to get special treatment. I'm right. going to cry when someone says something that affects me negatively. You right. know, that that to me seems like a really slippery slope as a culture.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think you see that with some of the, the gender stuff. Like I said, I mean, there are real, you know, what used to be called transsexuals and, you know, and, right. The, situation is tragic you know um and yeah, i, I believe that there are some individuals I, I know i know some people describe themselves as non-binary and they live very non-like non-binary lives i mean i believe yeah. it this is i do too characters. i don't have a problem this, with that you know but then he, i think you do see people that are like i mean the, the one i always like is like the demisexual right that's like I, I only have sex with people i'm in love with you know sort of thing and it's like
0: I mean that's kind of like yeah, that used to be called love. Christians, you know? <laughs> I mean that's, yeah.
1: I have to have an emotional attachment to someone before I'm attracted to. It. I think there's one like the, the like the gender changes when different music is on or something like that. So there's always like a you know and, and see that's
0: where you're just taking it one step too far. Like the, the average person's like, Oh, okay. So yeah. if Pink Floyd's playing. Then you're you're more masculine. Oh, by the way, we got to talk because you mentioned in your bio that you're you do really bad covers of Pink Floyd in your band. And so you know on the on the right, which is another example of just complete craziness, yeah. is when they released their 50 year anniversary of Dark Side of the Moon. You oh, saw this, I saw right? that one. Yeah. <laughs> how dare you go woke because of <laughs> Rainbow and you're like, oh my god! And this is a, This is a, just a, a capture of how stupid some of our culture is because these are people that are protesting against Pink Floyd and they obviously never listened to the album. Right, right. Yeah. It's like it was 50 years ago, you knucklehead. And, and yeah. were they woke 50 years ago? Just so, go on Google, and look up "Dark Side of the Moon." There's a yeah. there's a capture of the cover. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. We've just gone nuts. We've yeah. <laughs> just gone nuts.
1: Well, I think that's exactly it. Is is you know, and, and you know, I think news media plays a role in this. The social media plays a role in this to some extent too. Oh, no question. Uh, it's just we're, we're, we've really um, given you know incredible power to people with the most extreme views and and as you say this is true on the right uh with you know the Not q and sure. off, stop the steal you know exactly. all this stuff you know i don't have to live on the right um i have to live on the left so i i probably criticize the left more than the right for that reason but it absolutely is true that you know the the, the you know trumpism or whatever the hell we want to call that stuff is just as crazy and, and wacky and and destructive um, Oh,
0: for sure. Yeah. No, it, it's just, it's more brazen. I think yeah. the idea of, of like our brethren's, you know, it's more insidious. It's like, it's kind of yeah. like bubbling below the surface, as opposed to like <laughs> someone like Donald Trump is just beating you over the head with his ideology yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, and his nonsense. But yeah. yeah, it. I think to close out, you mentioned Bhatia Sargon in, in one of yeah. your books and you, and you write for Newsweek she wrote a book, and we can end on the media, because you did mention the media is yeah. part and parcel to this problem. What are your thoughts on the media and the psychology side of it? Because, you know, did you read her book, Bad News, by the way? Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. I read about a, okay. year, ago. Uh, yeah. a year ago, somewhere in there, yeah.
0: Really good book. And, you know, from someone like myself, I spent 20 years in the media business, and I, you know, I sold media to the New York Times. And and yeah. they did. She surfaced, a you know, a memo in 2014 that was given out to the reporters. And it was like, we need you to build your social graph. We want you to make sure you build as many followers yeah. as you can online. And, you know, t- and I'm paraphrasing, but something to the fact is just remember that 91% of our subscribers are Democrats. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, if you lose your following, you kind of lose your grit. And and that yeah. really goes against, you know, the historical norms of good old shoe leather reporting. Yeah. It was a, it was a trade. It was like, Hey, you know, truth to power. Let's push back on the nonsense. Yeah. And, you know, what are your thoughts on that as a psychologist and, and someone who looks at the world through that lens? What do you think's happening in the media? Because I think the left in general, we, I mean, obviously both parties have their own, yeah. you know, uh, you know, blowhorn, right. Fox yeah. on the right and MSNBC on the left. And I don't really necessarily compare the two, but Fox news, I should say, you know, yeah. like Brett Baer and Chris Wallace and those kind of cats that, you know, there is that, but what do you think about the media from your perspective?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, and, and thinking again of of like Jonathan Haidt, I think probably the place that he and I would disagree is is the relative importance of news media and social media, where you know, um, you know, I, I think social media plays a role in political polarization, but I actually think news media probably is a bigger driver than that social media is for a lot of the stuff. So I mean, one of the studies I did is actually looking at um, and I believe it was looking at the New York Times. Uh, was looking at news media coverage of you know police shootings of black men, you know unarmed black men, uh, versus the actual incidence of police shootings of of you know black men. And one of the things that you know became apparent in looking at this data is that race relations, you know, which have plummeted over the last decade, by the way, you know. Yeah. 2014, race relations were not perfect by any means, but pretty good actually. Both black and white people were thought things were moving in the right direction, and now we've seen this massive plummet, you know, in that uh, that that those those numbers. Uh, and a lot of that seems to be, you know, or at least some of that seems. To be, it's a complicated issue, of course, but some of that seems to be driven very specifically by news media reporting, you know. So um if you look at like the correlation between actual shootings of black men you know those have gone down over time you know they're actually they're actually pretty rare you know it's like you know unarmed black men is you know maybe i think in 2020 was four you know over the course of a year you know in most years it's probably close to like 10 or maybe yeah it
0: was 18 in 2020
1: yeah it's something like that yeah so it's relatively rare event um and uh so you know the Correlation between actual incidences and, you know, public, rela- you know, race relations. Well, there wasn't any, you know, but on the other hand, what happened is during that time period, news media really started picking up on these stories and highlighted them. So what you have is when, you know, a young black man is shot by police, that gets national news attention. When a young white man who's unarmed is shot by police, no, yeah, you know, just nobody cares. This just doesn't get any yeah. coverage at all, you know. And so I think that stuff like that is. Yeah, and you said it's catering to the audience, right? It's catering to the narrative, if you will, and I think you know, yeah, it's 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 bad. I mean, it's 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 you know, it's not the only thing right? By any means, it's contributing to our problems, but I think it is something that is contributing, uh, you know, to our problems. I mean, I think the New York Times is is almost like the temperature, you know, of the left or right, at this moment, right? Oh, you, know, for so sure. you know, so like you said, it's like not 95% of the readership is on the left, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, so I think the, the encouraging thing about the New York Times is that, yeah, they're still full of crap a lot, but, you know, that they, they <laughs> did hire John McWater. Yeah, right? you know, they did. Yeah. They, we have seen some articles in new york times pushing back against the the gender ideology and that sort of stuff now we also see rubbish but you know at least that, that ratio of rubbish to you know uh at least a different viewpoint um is better than it was again two and a half years ago i think you know still there's plenty of rubbish but at least they're you know allowing some stuff in so i think that's a sign of of optimism you know and i've seen a few articles of people coming out and kind of saying that like wokeism or whatever the hell we're calling this thing is, yeah. is, you know, it reached its peak and now is beginning to slowly recede. I hope they're right. Um, I see some signs of that. And like I said, I think, you know, my my experience in working at the university are definitely things are better today than they were two and a half years ago, at least at my university. And, and granted, I think Stetson always kind of tried to thread the needle better than Hamlin, Hamlin or, you know. Yeah. Oberland or, you know, Brown or, or Evergreen. <laughs> Evergreen. Yeah, no. Uh, some of his other actually, places. <laughs> that's
0: encouraging to hear, Chris, because yeah. you know, it we can just close out on that note because it's I always like to close out on a positive. I think yeah. that professors like yourself and and Jonathan Heights and Glenn Lurie and John McCorder, and then editors like Bhatia Unger-Sargan, Sargon, it is happening. I've seen it happening. I think that the fact that you're seeing a demonstrable difference. Mm-hmm. not only with your students, but the way you're teaching, you're not as scared as you were two years ago. Yeah. Uh, you obviously can put out the trigger warnings and part of your syllabi and say, Hey, this is what we're going to talk about, but I'm not going to shy away from this. Yeah. You know, that's really good news because I think that like anything, you know, the pendulum swings in culture. Yeah. And uh, I think that a lot of it, and I always try to put a compassionate lens on my progressive friends is that they genuinely want to help and yeah. they want, they want everyone to feel, safe and never be offended and you know that's utopian and it's it's, and i think it comes from a good place but it's just not going to (laughs) happen so it's like we need to kind of train people to be adults and i think that's what college in part is for you know is that four years of of being offended and being put out and being stayed up all night doing your homework and you know building friends and networks and things like that i think that's really what's important so Thank you again, sir, for your time. And I really enjoyed all of your articles. And uh, I look back, uh, maybe, you know, depending if we have, uh, I do, we do, we're starting to do true 30 debates. So I maybe, if you're willing to do that, I'll bring you in as a panelist and we can talk about some of these subjects. So thanks again for your time and uh, enjoy your upcoming weekend.
1: Awesome, you too. Thanks for having me on today. I appreciate it.
0: Cheers. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. If you
1: dig what we're doing
0: over here, please subscribe. And while you're at it, Please download an episode or two and leave a review. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Until next time, big hugs.